Hello, and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. I'm Percy, and I'm here today with Todd. Howdy. And Nick. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> We're here today to chat about nostalgia in games and performance, inspired by Kids on Bikes' inspiration from stories like E.T. and Stranger Things set in the 1980s, and its stipulation that games in the system be set prior to when everyone carried a cell phone with them. The broader kids on bikes genre of media taps into nostalgia for decades past, capturing the current nostalgic yearning for the 1980s, which was prefigured by nostalgia for the quote unquote simpler times of the 1950s during the actual 80s. Some other examples include the Goonies, Scooby-Doo and It. The kids on bike genre captures the feeling of freedom and wonder that comes with kids being able to explore their towns freely and independently, their coming of age and triumphs against the grim reality of adulthood and the unknowns awaiting them as they get older, and the mischief that arises amid their adventures. So to kick this off, it feels like we should define nostalgia, which I didn't know until today. Um, the Greek roots come from nostos, meaning to return home, and algos, uh, meaning pain. Um, originally, this was coined to describe a medical affliction facing soldiers in foreign lands, which I thought was really weird and interesting. But it was like Swiss army dudes lungs got all <laughs> weird when they were weepy about fighting abroad. I don't know. Anyway, um, it has come to mean a yearning to return home and intense homesickness that sort of depends on the irretrievable nature of the past as idealized by memory and desire rather than the actual lived experience of the past. And it also seems to come from a dissatisfaction with the present in some way, shape or form. So you see a lot of appeals to nostalgia in moments of like particular national strife. Um, in America, you see this a bit in the 40s during the Great War. You see this in the 80s. You see this in the 2010s and 20s. Yeah, you see Stranger um, Things, which is about, which is ostensibly about the 80s and 90s, but is also very much about 2016. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was like an interesting uh, way to put it, which it hadn't, it had never been phrased that way to me. It was always just like, this is this thing that people have about like how the past is sometimes. Um, and particularly viewing it as like a positive memory associated with a trigger in the present um, that's evocative of a pleasant feeling or an, an emotional state. So there's this like duality to it in terms of time. Yes, definitely. That duality of nostalgia is so, so interesting. And it's a, a feeling. I don't even know if I guess you can call it an emotion. Is it an emotion? I think it's an emotion. I think it's an emotion. Um, it's it's an emotion that I think is really complicated and one that as an artist, honestly, I'm a little uh, suspicious of. Um, but for a lot of people, you know, I think one of the one of the appeals of nostalgia, uh, especially in a game like Kids on Bikes, that is looking at kind of childhood um, is that it, it offers a sense of agency that chil actual children usually don't have access to um, because what it gives you is a little bit of that ability for players to revisit their childhood with the power to shape that experience through, you know, their adult perspective, their adult understanding of the world, the history of accumulated years that you can look back at things in your childhood and say, oh, I wish I had I wish I had done X or been X or, or taken a different path as a child. Or I wonder what I would have been like as a child if I had been the kind of kid who did X. Mm -hmm. um, 
So in a lot of ways, it feels like it's a kind of fantasy, which, of course, fits right in with all sorts of other tabletop role playing games with more elaborate fantasies. I think that's interesting if you think about like, I think the chief like criticism of nostalgia that I have seen and and feel myself is that it's sort of like uh, glosses over things that were wrong or bad about the time that you are feeling nostalgic for like people who are like, Oh, like I want to live in the 1950s when like everything was simpler and like uh, people like spent time at the sock hop or whatever. And we forget that like it was super racist and super sexist and very well, bad. Yeah. Um, I mean the, the the whole nostalgia for the 1950s is very much a like in the 1980s is very much a like white American phenomenon. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, what happened between the 1950s and the 1980s mm-hmm. that you want to go back mm-hmm. to the time before it happened? What was that? It was yeah, a civil rights I, movement for any of our listeners who weren't getting it. It was the civil rights movement. Um, but I but yeah, but I th- I say that to say that I think like. Like that idea of like the fantasy of nostalgia is a double edged sword because I like I think in this specific application, it can be a really good thing. It can be a really sort of empowering thing. And I can think of many applications where like that's a really like good and productive thing to feel. But also it can like have this sort of other flip side of like, yeah, idealizing a thing that perhaps one should not um, one should not idealize. Well, I think it is. That I, I think what you just said about like the the uh, the agency it can offer leads us into uh, this quote we have from Doug Lewandowski, who is one of the creators of Kids on Bikes. In this interview with EGM, uh, Doug Lewandowski says the fantasy when you're a kid is having a sword and being listened to and having control o- over your own life. We think that for a, we think for a lot of adults, it's now about going back to a simpler time when they had less to worry about, freedom from the pressures of adulthood, all of that. Our thinking about nostalgia is that's no less a fantasy than being an elf who can shoot fireballs. You're still recreating this world that never really existed. It just looks quite a bit like a world that did. End quote. Yeah, I think to like pull a nugget of my own experience out of it um, and we'll like, I think, touch on this more in much later episodes. But like as a like trans person who did not have a childhood in the gender that aligns with like my actual gender playing kids on bikes was a really really exciting opportunity to be like oh let me go back and be like the grubby preteen boy that I've always wanted to be you know like um yeah I think that is like a a piece of nostalgia a kind of nostalgia and a thing that this game is really good at sort of facilitating for players is yeah like exploring like what could have been yeah and I think that's actually one of the chief kind of hallmarks of nostalgia I mean Todd you touched on this earlier And I do remember uh, reading that it was part of the original Swiss guys formulation of the term. Nostalgia is perhaps often or more than usually uh, for a place and a time that we actually didn't experience Mm -hmm. um, or that we we're nostalgic for a thing that maybe did not exist in the clean, simple way that we want it to. because, for example, I do think a lot of people who play kids on bikes, you know, have that element of like childhood nostalgia for it, even though I was not alive in the 1980s. <laughs> you know, I was I was literally not born. Um, and I don't think anybody 
I don't uh, I don't know everybody's exact ages, but uh, I'm in pretty our cast, sure. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody was old enough to be like. I don't believe anybody in our cast was a preteen in the 1980s. Uh, no, although we. Yeah. I think we, in our case, we did kind of intentionally set our game. Oh, right. We moved it up. Yeah. yeah we set our game in the in the early 1990s, which was like a little bit before, like, I was alive at least. But we all, like, we were very intentional about like, oh, like, let's put in things that we remember from our own experience, like having a Tamagotchi or um, like a passcode electronic journal or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, you're absolutely I, right. I blanked I do on think, that. Thank you. But I do think there is like... There is an appeal like like watching Stranger Things or whatever, like, you know, creates that feeling of nostalgia in me, even though like I was not alive in the 1980s and I did not play Advanced Dungeons and Dragons with my friends in, you know, in one of their basements. Um, But that's definitely like a feeling that I can connect to despite not having been alive for that. Just I'm grappling still with my own suspicion of nostalgia. <laughs> um, and I do wonder, hearing you talk about it, Percy, I wonder if if nostalgia hits very different in uh, playable media than in consumable media. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, that whole idea of agency is something that's much more felt, for me anyway, in something like a game than in a play or a movie. I do think, though, there's this kind of, like, this always looking back. I mean, even uh, (laughs) right now, the Great Gatsby's final passage is just, like, blaring in my ears. Um, But this, like, perpetual, like, looking back and going back toward a past that never was. um, I think for a lot of people, there's something really appealing about childhood because, like, you just didn't know a lot of shit yet. Like, it's not that things were simpler. It's that, like you didn't know anything about global warming or like geopolitics or like capitalism when you were eight years old you weren't grappling with these ideas like it's not just like student debt or like working for a living it's like your life was simpler because you were dumber Mm -hmm. And, and i think that that's part of it like it's not just glossing like hoping for a time when things were better or simpler it's like it seemed that way to us because we were kids and we didn't know a lot yet because i feel like we're not like culturally cognizant as people until we're like maybe 13 well and we don't have jobs like you have to go to school yeah. but like you have so like you have so much more time to do the things that you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I think it is kind of like as like an adult person with lots of demands on my free time, like it is kind of exciting to play a game where I can go back and be like, Ooh, like <laughs> at 3 PM I'm done for the day. <laughs> like what am I, oh, okay. I going to do? Um, but to sort of like link those two things together, the other thing that I, that's in my brain and I apologize for being a little bit grad school. Cause, but I was just writing a paper about this earlier today. Um, like I think thinking about the difference between like playable media and media that you just like watch that you are just an audience member in like, for reasons that we have discussed on the podcast before, like I think games have transformative potential. So I think like the action of playing a game like kids on bikes, where you are like bringing agency to childhood and you are like revisiting 
this feeling of nostalgia and kind of living inside it and maybe interrogating what that means to you. Like that is a transformative experience for you as a person in that maybe it realigns like things that you value or affirms things or kind of shows you like, oh, maybe this is not actually a thing that I care about as much as I thought that I did. Like, I think that is perhaps a, a function of the nostalgic connection to, to these you know, two games like this. Um, but yeah, I think the other sort of piece of this um, is that like what we're and what we're sort of circling around is this idea um, and Linda Hutchin, who's a like a performance theory theorist, um, writes a lot about this. Um, but like, I think what you see in nostalgia is this like collision of moments in time, like this sort of like encounter between temporalities to be annoying and grad schooly again, that sort of transforms your present by interacting with the with the past. Um which I think is sort of like what games like this are doing or like media that creates or relies upon nostalgia is sort of doing is like revisiting the past in order to use that feeling to change something about the present or say something about the present. Yeah, I would say maybe to say something about the present sooner than to change something about the present, at least, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in a broad strokes description of how nostalgia works across yeah. media. I, I wonder if that is one reason that a lot of nostalgia um, uh, finds its home in genre work. I mean, it's um, obviously Kids on Bikes and it's like sci-fi spin, which goes along with Stranger Things. But also, you know, I'm thinking of like, uh, you, you know, bodice ripper is probably not a, a term anymore, but like historical bodice romance ripper? novels. That's yeah. a term. Isn't that I mean, a it's a term. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it not a term that anyone uses? I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't come up with the term historical romance. Mm. Um, Histori oh, do you mean like Bridgerton? Yeah, like, yes, like Bridgerton. I was going to say, like, there's definitely an element of nostalgia there, too, you know, for mm. uh, the British Empire, um, <laughs> which, again, is its Ooh. whole own thing when you say it nakedly like that. But, but like, that's a whole genre that many people do find very meaningful and that does com comment on the present by creating a like consciously alternate past mm -hmm. um, by creating a fantastical or like uh, fabulized past. I don't know if that's a word. I mean, I've just made that up. No, the um, fabulation's a real thing. Yeah, you're right. Cool. Great. Yeah. But then I, I wonder if there's something there about like the link between nostalgia and, gen and genres that maybe nostalgia actually works better in alternate realities because it is always alternate already to be mm. annoying in grad school -y. That No, that <laughs> makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me because I think if you look at like the, yeah, if you look at it, a lot of it relies on things like monsters or fantastical situations or things that would not happen in real life um, in order to sort of say the thing that it's trying to say. I mean, I'm even thinking of to, to say, to name something that I'm very nostalgic about, like the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes is like indelibly marked with my own nostalgia of reading it in childhood and is itself very much, you know, uh, 80s and early 90s product that is reflecting a mythic, not really non-existent Amer white American boyhood of some undefined time that's like after the 1950s, but definitely before when it was being written. Um, and even that, you know, that's a world where like a tiger talks and a child's imagination creates 
anything and everything in a tangible way that doesn't in the real world. So I feel like even that is not, even though it's not obviously genre work, there's that kind of alternation of reality or alteration, excuse me, of reality that's at play in it. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at stuff like Stranger Things specifically and how like kids on bikes um, shifts towards these like paranatural, supernatural um, sort of vibes, I wonder if there's something appealing about that also like from a different end in a nostalgia sense, um, because like right now, like if the things in Stranger Things happened today, like if that show tried to be set in the 2010s, I think it would struggle because we all have a supercomputer in our pockets um, that can record like high quality imagery and audio. Um, And so like part of part of the first season is like, oh, he accidentally caught one like camera shot of the monster and we need to like blow it up and blow it up and blow it up. Um, And I think part of it is like the plausibility of things like this being able to stay a secret. Um, And that's why these like sci-fi things that happen in the 80s today um, are like appealing because it's like, oh, but maybe that could have happened in Hawkins, Indiana, or like maybe the government did cover up E.T. Not that people like think that, think that, but it helps with your suspension of disbelief. Um, because like if those things happened today, you'd be like, well, it would be all over social media. It would be all over this it would be all over that other thing. And like there's something really charming in like season two of Stranger Things when Dustin is trying to like figure out what this weird amphibian creature that he has is. And he goes to the library and he opens up the fucking Rolodex and he's like going through the Dewey Decimal System trying to find every book he can on reptiles. Um, And like when is the last time any of us went to the library without like specifically making sure they already had the book that we knew we wanted or thought we wanted there. Like there's something that's nostalgic about that experience of going to a library, which I think is probably different from how I went to the library as a kid um, versus how people go to the library now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also think if we think about like the horror genre, cause I think a lot of the examples that you could pull of the like kids on bikes type of media kind of live or interact with the horror genre. I also think like the horror genre is extremely dependent on sharp changes in your emotional state. So if you have this sort of like element of nostalgia that interacts really, really well with horror because you're sort of in like a, like a sympathetic place, like you're feeling like, Oh, like, isn't it sweet that he's going to the library um, and looking through and looking through the car, through the catalog? Um, oh my God, the the monster is, you know, like um, it, I think nostalgia primes you to have a really um, sort of intense emotional connection to the work um, in a way that media that's not kind of using nostalgia as a tool um, does and I think a lot of genre work really sort of relies on you building an emotional connection to whatever the content is, in part because it's not necessarily completely legible as like a real world realistic thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of segueing from that a bit toward uh, a medium that I think uses nostalgia a lot all the time. Um, if we take a look at nostalgia in performance, we see that a lot in the American musical which I think is, uh, again, like not how I would have phrased this before this conversation, um, but something that I think is interesting 
reading uh, Rebecca Ann Rugg's What It Used to Be, Nostalgia and the State of the Broadway Musical. Um, she kind of begins this essay with, and I'm just going to like, this is a long quote, I'm sorry, but I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, On the surface, musicals present a historically simplified America. However, history, social, and political complications seep through the cracks in those famous and oft-revived examples of the form, Showboat and Oklahoma, and also in many more recent productions. Kiss Me Kate, Chicago, The Music Man, Annie Get Your Gun, 42nd Street, Seussical, Full Monty, and Follies. Throughout the 20th century, two modes of nostalgia, cultural and personal, have been employed in the dramaturgy of musical theater. The two overlap, but use distinct strategies to evoke a particular audience relationship to a particular historical America. Um, And she goes on in much more detail. We'll link the article um, so you can check it out. Um, But she talks about these two modes of nostalgia, um, one being this like cultural um, sort of historiography of America, wherein we are trying to both like look at a a supposed simpler time, um, whether that's, you know, Oklahoma uh, in the 1940s during a fraught period of American history, trying to look back at a much simpler, isn't it great if the farmer and the cowboy can be friends? Uh, sort of a situation in this like idea of American national unity, um, which I thought was really fascinating. And then also um, this like personal nostalgia, uh, wherein we keep reviving like the same golden age of Broadway shows over and over again in a way to like bring people who like those shows back into the theater with the hopes that they're bringing a younger generation of people also back to the theater so that when they revive them 10, 20 years from now, you'll have that same nostalgic effect in your own personal life of having seen that show at a younger age. And one of the things that this is, A, I will just say I love Rebecca Ruggs' um, like distinction between cultural and personal nostalgia there. I think it's really like incredibly useful. And something that this is making me think about now is I'm wondering whether there's something to the way that, again, playable media uh, play plays haha, with that um, with that distinction a little bit, because in the way she describes it, you know, there, there's the cultural nostalgia of, you know, like very clear Oklahoma in the 1940s where electronics be unified because of World War II. So we imagine that the U.S. used to be like such a simple, democratic, homogenous place. Um, and then the, the personal nostalgia of hearing a song that, you know, while you're seeing in the audience as show and th- therefore kind of like extending the show, the emotion of the personal. But in a game, the cultural and personal nostalgias are like deeply enmeshed in a way that is really hard to extricate, especially in a game like Kids on Bikes, where you're asked to create the world of the game itself. Well, and I think our not to like flex or whatever, but I think our game of kids on bikes is a really good example of that because you can very clearly see like two people from Pennsylvania are sharing, like putting things in the world that are their lived experience being from Pennsylvania and like so on and so forth. Like I think, yeah, it's a lot harder to sort of extricate those two things from each other in a, in a medium where you are like bringing yourself into it 
because that's what the media demands of you. Whereas like, yeah, I don't think anybody is going to see a production of Oklahoma and necessarily like looking to find themselves with maybe, maybe they do actually. I don't know. I'm not, (laughs) I'm not going to. Well, I, I don't know that anybody goes to it looking for like their lived experience because it's set in Oklahoma in 18 whatever. Um, but but I do think that's, you know, that's the seduction of of the of the musical, but also in some ways of like any theater is that, of course, you go for go to it hoping to see something of your life, even if it's, um, you know, just desire or uh, fear of rejection or pain or whatever reflected in it. I mean, that's also, I think, a reason why people reacted so strongly to sexy Oklahoma and gay Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because, because it's, yeah, it's, they're, it's trespassing on what had been this sort of like homogenous American myth. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and I yeah. think when we go to see Oklahoma, we all relate to Ado Annie. I, that's true. Um, I, I too, am just like a girl who can't say no. every single person who sees that show is a girl who can't say no. I, I think and, you're right. And I, and I want to be clear that when I say people reacted strongly to those productions, yes, in the sense that like some people were very upset because they were trespassing. Oh, I'm obsessed with gay like, Oklahoma because it's gay. Yeah, yeah, but also, and like some people absolutely fucking loved them mm-hmm. because they were taking uh, these things and and making making them much more specific and like deeply felt for people who had only ever seen themselves at the margins of those stories. Well, and I guess yeah, to take back what I what I did just say very recently, yeah, I guess like even and even circling back like to my own experience with kids on bikes, yeah, like it is. Because we like because we use nostalgia to sort of create these myths of like what the past was that we can all sort of agree on and feel good about um, being really intentional about like intervening into that and saying like, no, actually, like it was not all white, cis, heterosexual people in these worlds is actually, you know, like let's let's broaden who is visible in this is actually like can be really can be really meaningful and really powerful because of the power that this media has and like the like status that we have assigned to it because of the way that it uses nostalgia. Well, and the, the like myth making powers of nostalgia, like Mm -hmm. by using something that is nostalgic and queering it, even though like historically there were queers in the territories, we know we have their stories. Um, but like queering this, piece of Americana like cements you within the powers of Americana there which I think is interesting Um, and like I also have some weird nebulous feelings about like what does it mean to queer yourself into like the patriarchy and like I mean this is like this is like I think the argument of like the theater industry as it stands right now right is like like it's the it's the ground on which I stand argument of like what does it mean to just put people in stories that were not written for them to be there versus what it means to like do new stories in which they are authentically within them. And like, I, I would say both, but like there are valid, you know, you could make valid arguments for either, for either one. But I think if you're looking at like 
weaponizing isn't the right word, but like, I think there is value to sort of making use of the way that like musical theater, for example, uses nostalgia to do this sort of myth-making Americana work and sort of like exploit that and subvert that, like that has a lot of power to it. Um, regardless of whatever argument you could make that maybe like just doing stories that, you know, marginalized people were intended to be in from the beginning is a better use of your time. Well, is as as Todd was saying, like nostalgia is always is always myth making anyway. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you're going to do it, why why make myths about you know white heteropatriarchy? That's yes, all extremely <laughs> extremely true. I don't think anyone is going to stop reviving all of these you know golden age musicals anytime soon. Um, maybe maybe it will change drastically. I don't know, but <laughs> I would I would wager. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think. No, I was making a face of like maybe they should, um, um, which is also not what I, not what I truly like. Truly think, but like maybe. I mean, maybe fewer. As a person who used to work at Arena Stage, which, if you are like unfamiliar, has like a reputation for doing revivals of Golden Age musicals. Like, this is a conversation that I've had a, a million times, and it's like <laughs> tricky, largely because of this tension of like they have so much myth making power and so much potential for sort of changing what those myths are um so yeah yeah like it's just it's just complicated um but it's also undeniable that like for example in like the tour of oklahoma right now adu annie is a black trans woman which is fucking awesome like that rules (laughs) um and like i'm yeah unequivocally that rules so so that's that (laughs) this was a tangent i'm so sorry (laughs) No, it wasn't. I opened my mouth and was like, I don't know how to segue away from that. <laughs> um, you know, it, do, it does unequivocally rule. Um, I do want to shift us a little bit into uh, thinking about nostal- how nostalgia operates on in like games and playable media. Um uh, to quote from that EGM article again, uh, the, the article says Kids on Bikes is a game powered by imagination that leans heavily on the perhaps mythical idea of a shared childhood experience in a pre-internet era. Um, and one of the ways it does that is by using kind of quickly recognizable tropes and archetypes from film and TV. So, you know, you have the idea of uh, kids going through these coming of age or adventure stories, characters who are at a crossroads in their life, um, kind of centering youth and the experiences of young people specifically. And also this trope that's very common in Stranger Things, E.T., that whole kind of 80s, uh, what was it, Goonies wave? Goonies um, wave is the is the word that the EGM article uses. <laughs> the, the whole Goonies wave uh, movement uh I prefer 80s core myself. 80s core. 80s core. (laughs) I'm going to go. I'm going to try to get Goonies core trending. Um, I think that's the best. Yeah. Tweet at us with the hashtag Goonies core. (laughs) Hashtag Goonies core. (laughs) You watch that's going to become the thing that makes us internet famous now. Uh, No, it's it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, anyway, the the, uh, one of the other big tropes is this is the resistance to faceless authority 
um, which goes along is is part and parcel really of that idea of being children in this pre-internet world is that it is a world that is unstructured um, and where the idea of authority is itself like quite distant and alienated and violent and therefore resistance to it is inherently uh, like prized. In some ways, it's like actually very libertarian, I'm realizing mm-hmm. as I say this. Aside from these sort of like big like kids and bikes tropes um that are sort of i think like part of what defines the genre of media as a whole inclusive of like the game kids on bikes but also like movies like the goonies and stand by me and all of these other films that you think of when you think about like a group of plucky youngsters solving a mystery in their small town um kids on bikes also like very explicitly uses tropes from from media in the way that we've sort of talked about before in terms of like the bully you know, the class clown, um, mm-hmm. you know, um, the loner weirdo, all of these things. Like it's, I think, really, really explicitly tapping into your relationship to media and tapping into things that you have seen and connected to uh, in your in your own life. Um, and we I really think should really, have done our like commedia episode about this game. Well, it's. Oh well. <laughs> for the for the audience at home, you missed Todd's Italian hand gesture to very, indicate comedian. It's <laughs> very good. Um but yeah, like I think um I think the way that it is like I I think it's sort of priming you as a player to really tap into like your personal connection to the feelings that it's trying to evoke. And I think it does so really, really successfully. Because I think all of us were very heavily leaning on like either what we wanted to be when we were in middle school or like the way that we genuinely were, but idealized, you know, viewed with a with a nostalgic lens. Um, the other observation that this um, raises for me is about intended audience. So if you have games that are intended to evoke childhood nostalgia, they're sort of, I think, assuming something about who is going to play them and how old they are, what experiences they've had. Um, for example, like growing up in a small town versus somebody who maybe grew up rurally or grew up in a big city. Like I think this, I think these games do to some extent make assumptions about um, what experiences feel relatable or connectable to. Yeah. And I think that's in some ways the more important thing is it's not necessarily experiences that the audience has had because I was, I found myself wondering that as we were talking just now, it's like, I wonder if people play kids on bikes, but set in like, you know, the, the Bronx, and I, I don't know. I'd be very if you have done that, please write and tell us about it. Um, and I, but I think that what's operating there in this mode of nostalgia is not necessarily experiences that people have had, but experiences that people will find pleasure in in creating or recreating. Yeah, which does just speak to interesting questions about like what what experience what experiences are assumed to be universally desirable well i I think now that i'm thinking about it i think part of what makes them i think universally desirable is a is a point that is worth like chewing on further but i do think like even if you haven't necessarily had this experience like thinking not only about like goonies core film um but also like i don't know i think like early 2000s pop punk is relatively common enough that people have listened and heard the various I hate this small town music Mm -hmm. like I think like I think the like sort of feelings that kids on bikes is attempting to sort of capture in its gameplay are things that are legible to people who have familiarity with like 
some swath of media because I think it is tapping into like, like I think small town angst and like growing up in a small town is a thing that so many people have talked about that like, you know what that feels like, even if you haven't actually, you know, even if you're not from one. Yeah. And sorry. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to harp on this, but it's just raises the interesting observation to me that like, but more people haven't. Mm hmm. Yeah, just like mathematically. <laughs> um, <laughs> small town people are just math. I think just... Like, I think there's a difference between like growing up in a small town and uh, growing up in a rural town. Uh, like, I think those things are different with what you're talking about mathematically. And I think, Percy, there's something interesting. Um, as, as someone who was in a pop punk band back in the day, um, I didn't know this about you, Todd. Oh, we can talk about it sometime. <laughs> we had t-shirts. We recorded that's a, an album. That's um, amazing. Can, can we stream your album for an entire podcast no. episode? God, I would anyway. just cry the whole time. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, but um, you said something that was really interesting about uh, like the I hate this town that I'm in and there's this like longing when you're younger for like bigger and better things which is a very common feeling that I think a lot of people have and I think what kids on bikes is specifically trying to do is tap into this nostalgia for like but wasn't there something really great about my small town wasn't there something weird that I wish I could have explored like as someone who this last weekend I was in my hometown which like Saratoga Springs is not a tiny place whatever but i was there with my partner for the first time and so i was like showing him around not going necessarily to the things that i would want to go to because it's covid and like i can't take him to the restaurants or bars that i would want to go to so we instead like went to a bunch of the springs and like went for a walk um near a geyser that i learned is not a geyser but a spouter uh because it's cold and there's no steam involved it's just carbonated water i don't know mm. whatever who cares but <laughs> there was something interesting about showing off these things that like i did not frequent like i have not been to the spa state park since i was probably 15 despite spending a number of more years there and going back frequently to saratoga um but there was this like oh yeah these are things that like make saratoga cool that i didn't really appreciate when i was a kid here um and i think kids on bikes is trying to like make that for you um like the goal is not to recreate the pop punk i hate my town the goal is to recreate like maybe i hate the cops but like <laughs> the town itself is cool and there's something magical here um and I think that that's an interesting uh, figuring of nostalgia in this context. Yeah. And one that is like excitingly, I think, transformative in the way that like, you know, in the effect that it has on you as a player and like how you are interacting with sort of like the space that playing this game creates and like engaging in this activity. Like I think it does. Yeah. Sort of mirror that, like going back to your hometown with a person who's new to it and suddenly, yeah, being like, oh, like. There's a, yeah, I have, I feel an appreciation for this that I took for granted or didn't have before, which is kind of nice. Um, but also there's gelatinous clouds <laughs> and kids on bikes. Well, there can be. There can be. It's there not could a, be all sorts of things. It's not, it's not in the rules that there are gelatinous clouds, to be clear. Um, <laughs> um yeah, I think, I don't know, something, something that's also just so, like there's there's two things that are really fascinating to me about this. Like one, in Kids on Bikes, 
you as a group of, of like probably adults um, could be role playing as kids of yesteryear who could have been playing like advanced Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, a la Stranger Things. And that is like an experience that is valid and cool to do in Kids on Bikes, which I think is bizarre that there's a like, what if in your role playing game, you were also playing a role playing game, maybe just for fun. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that make you feel like a kid again? Which I think is like weird in and of itself. But I also think that there's something fascinating about Stranger Things, like restarting this new 80s vibe. Um, I don't think that they're the the architect like the architects of this but i think that there's a lot riding on stranger things like getting it right and for two guys who were born in 84 um and like did not grow up in the 80s the way that they like describe the 80s of stranger things i think that's fascinating that they're like absolutely engineered nostalgia um can like ring true for so many people yeah, I did read a funny article that was like Stranger Things is about the '90s, not the '80s, um, which I thought was which I thought was funny. Um, and like, they're not wrong. It was just, uh, it was just funny that how how strong out the gate that person came. But um, which I uh, which is neither here nor there. But yeah, I, I think it's all it's all myth. It's all it's all just myths, and it's all I think manufactured or you know has artificial not in the sense of it being fake but artificial in the sense of like having been created um mm-hmm. there's probably a better word for that but i can't think of it at this moment yeah. um but yeah and i think that is like the double-edged sort of of nostalgia and that like it has a lot of creative power and potential but also there is this sense of artifice there is the sense of like not being real that can be tricky if you start to value it as real yeah and Maybe it's also the complication of engaging in these, engaging simultaneously in the cultural and personal forms of nostalgia. I mean, just to run with the Duffer Brothers, you know, to take that argument of Stranger Things isn't about the 80s, it's about the 90s. That would make sense because that's when they were, you know, the age of the kids in the TV show. So maybe what's happening there is, you know, Thinking about the thinking about the 90s, casting it into the 80s to talk about the 2010s, which is a very complicated, like temporal relationship that's going on there, but definitely one that I can track and make sense. Mm-hmm. OK, I'm going to derail this whole thing for a second and we might just cut this. I don't know. But do it if we're looking. At, so we were originally going to do this episode about like camp and nostalgia, um, but we didn't think that there was actually like a clear enough link between like camp and playing tabletop games, specifically this one and how we were playing it. Um, but if we're looking at nostalgia as artifice that is believable versus camp as artifice, which is recognized as artifice, like is that the division that we're looking at here? And is that why it's hard to play, play, but in this case, like as role-playing game players, to play camp, um, because the point of camp is that while it is recognizable as artifice, um, it cannot be, it must be like earnestly done. I think that's actually completely, uh, that's completely correct. I That makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. Um, in part because I also think that camp is so aesthetic because mm-hmm. of the, because like there is an earnestness that is required to like, play a character 
But yeah, I think that is actually exactly why we were having so much trouble figuring out how to make that link. But this is me making me refigure um, these ideas of nostalgia, which are artifice, which are myth making, that is just like believable enough for enough people um, that it has this effective nostalgic quality to it. Like it feels close enough that it's probably right. And the feelings that you have about being a kid in your hometown are probably valid in this situation. And I think that's interesting. Yeah, I I think, yeah, I think the fundamental difference is that nostalgia has this sort of affective connection. It's like really playing on how you feel, whereas Kemp, I think, doesn't care about how you feel. Kemp is all about what are you trying to do and how does it look? Um, Mm -hmm. Right. Kemp is about, but not. I don't want to say surface because it's about a lot more than that, but but it is much more is aesthetic than affective. Well, and it's emotionally distanced say. specifically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They and are, so it like must be non-affective. Yeah, they are, I think, in many ways like opposites of each other, um, in terms of what they're trying to do and how you would and how you would define them. Um It was so interesting to me that Becca Rugg specifically talks about the links between nostalgia and camp in her essay that we mentioned earlier in ways that like she doesn't really unpack very much um, because it's not just because it's not the focus of the essay. But I had never thought about them uh, in such close proximity. And what she said and the connections you're drawing, Todd, are really like making me reevaluate both of them. A little bit. Hey. Oh, shit. Am I the Fonz again? <laughs> Damn it. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DN Drama Nerds. Check out cast bios on our website, dungeonsanddramanerds.com, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds. Dungeons and Drama Nerds.